You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. This week's episode with Malika Chopra is a special kind of episode and one that we don't normally do because it includes her guiding us through meditation exercises during the recording. Cara and I found it very moving, and we hope that you will too. Because the pace and content of this episode is different from the other Puberty Podcast episodes, we have a suggestion. You can listen anytime, anywhere. But if you'd like to participate in the very short meditation exercises that Maul puts throughout the episode, then either listen or go back to listen when you're sitting somewhere where you might be able to be quiet for just a moment or two. We hope you enjoy. Malika Chopra is Chopra Global's CEO and a mom, media entrepreneur, author, and public speaker. She is the author of the Just Be series, Just Breathe, Just Feel, and Just Be You, a trilogy of illustrated how-to books for children and the adults in their lives. For younger kids, her new book is My Body is a Rainbow. These books provide simple tools to understand and support social and emotional knowing, resilience, meditation, mindfulness, and self-reflection. Malika wrote these books to empower kids to learn how to deal with stress, 
sleep better, build self-confidence, understand social and emotional intelligence, reflect on what makes them special, and manage the anxiety so many of them face today. Malika, it is such a privilege to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Okay, I got to jump in. First of all, you sound so relaxed and zen while you're reading that bio. It's her presence in the room. I know. Malika's here and I already feel like so much calmer. You're vibing (laughs) off of her. Okay, so full disclosure, you're sitting across the table, as am I, from one of my very best friends who I love and adore. They're both smiling lovingly at each other. So um, we met... When Tara, who's Malika's oldest daughter, came to my practice, she was about four months old because this powerhouse new mother was finishing business school. And so it was this incredible setup with a mom and a mother-in-law taking care of the new grandbaby while Mal went to business school for the first four months of Tara's life. Did I get that right? And I met her when she was four months old and we were... We were literally set up because you were coming back to LA and your best friend from college was my favorite person in medical school, Sayantani Dasgupta, who's an incredible writer, pediatrician, an incredible writer. And Sai said, oh, go see Cara. And it was sort of like, oh, okay. And so we instantly liked each other. And then I, I love to tell this story. When I was pregnant with Talia, who is two years younger than Tara, um, Mal handed me a book and said, I have a gift for you. And I just wanted to give you this book that I just wrote. It was one of her, maybe her first book, 100 Blessings for My Child. And I put it by my, I, thank you, thank you. I put it by my bedside. I have no time. I can't read it. And I, about a month before Tolly was born, I finally thought, I've got to read this book. It's from, you know, we didn't really know each other that well at the time, but, you know, I just, and so I opened it up and I read the foreword. And I'm reading the foreword by Deepak Chopra. And I, I turned to my husband because Tara has a different last name. And I turned to my husband. I said, I hadn't even looked at Maul's name on the cover. I just, I said, wow, Deepak Chopra wrote her introduction. Now that's incredible. It took me another four or five years to realize that Deepak is Maul's dad. And that is including times where he would come into my office for the visits, sick visits, and including times it finally dawned on me, we filmed a series called Perfectly Imperfect Parents uh, with a comedian and named um, Danny Klein Modisette. And we invited Deepak to be our guest on that. And we had a great time. And then I was like, oh yeah, now I got it. He's definitely the dad, the grandpa. So we have lots of points of connection, but the most important is a beautiful, almost two decades of friendship that I treasure. It's amazing how time flies by. And yeah, it was, Cara and I just connected because we love our kids. We're also nerdy people, (laughs) I think, at the end of the day. So she's one of the friends that I can really just dive deep with. And we're always exploring new ideas. I love the fact that you guys are doing this podcast amazing. We're so happy to have you here. Okay, so I just want to jump in by saying that for those who have not read your books yet, you've written many books, but the, the Just Be series, they may not naturally put together mindfulness and childhood. And even if you have read the Just Be series, you probably do not naturally pair 
mindfulness and puberty, because those two things do not go together as naturally as one might think they could, right? But we're here to spend some time talking about how those two things actually fit very neatly together, despite the sort of oil and water nature of them. So can you help us understand in the broadest stroke sense to get the conversation started, how can people start to pair the concepts of kids going through puberty and kids being mindful? It's such a good question. And I would say not just mindfulness, but self-awareness and self-reflection are really critical uh, in the puberty phase. Because what is puberty? It's the time in our life when we individuate, when we start to separate from our family, the notions that have been taught to us by our community, our society, and those we're closest to. And so what all of these techniques do, and mindfulness is a very broad word, I prefer the word self-awareness, what these tools do and these practices do is they help us connect with ourselves and as young kids and then kids who are going through a certain phase of development, the more connected they are to self, then the more grounded they are as they ask questions, they face challenges, they explore and question and struggle with who they are. So I actually think this is such a critical time and I bring my experience of my life, which is when I was nine years old, was when I learned how to meditate. Will you tell the story, please? Tell the story about how you were a meditation faker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned my father, and we're very lucky because we come from a really close family. My parents were immigrants who came to this country. In fact, when my mom got pregnant with me, they couldn't even afford to have me here. So my mom flew back to India and I was born in India. Uh, and so, you know, my parents are really the poster children of the American dream realized. But our childhood was stressful. So my father was young. He was doing his residency. They got to this country with $8 in their pockets. So, you know, he worked 24-7, moonlit all the time. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. They had a kid right away. And uh, they struggled. And the way that my dad dealt with his stress was whenever he had a free moment, which was rare, he would smoke, he would drink to go to sleep, and he was just unhappy. So as children, my brother and I, my brother's three years younger than I, we had a lovely unit of my mom, my brother, and me. And when my dad was around, it was kind of a pain because my parents would fight. So when I was nine years old, I remember very clearly my something changing and my parents' relationship changing, and it was my father's discovery of meditation. And my mom learned, and then my dad made my brother and I learn, then my dad's brother had to learn, my mom's sister had to learn. By the end of the week, the entire Indian community, which was very close in Boston, everyone had to learn how to meditate. So that was his nature. But as a child, I saw the transformation in our family and our community. And frankly, for my brother and I, suddenly my dad was 
more present. He would look at us and be like, what grade are you in? Like, it was like he was noticing He was re-meeting <laughs> you for the first time. Yeah, and it was just beautiful. And so as a child, I saw that transformation. So that being said, as Kara notes, I was a very irregular meditator. In fact, my brother and I probably, you know, to our, our misbehavior was not meditating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to rebel. I'm not going to meditate today. That's how it went down in the Chopra household. That's how it went down. But the key lesson there was actually my parents never forced us to meditate. They never forced us to do anything. They had their practice. They did their practice. They led by example, not words. And as kids, we followed. And so how that relates to puberty is that I had a tool through my adolescent years which helped me deal with the very normal extremes of emotions, extremes of insecurity or feeling like you know everything. Like there was a presence that I was able to cultivate that carried me through very turbulent times, um, which is normal and actually natural and what we should be going through at that age. But feeling a security inside that I could also reflect back, um, take a deep breath, feel like I was more in control of situations, and ask questions that sometimes but didn't wait, have answers. When you first started, you and Gotham would go into that room and Gotham would just close his eyes and wish for Celtics tickets, right? Yes. That so, was his form of meditation. <laughs> so, well, it's actually a practice that my dad taught us and it's a lot of my work. I have a book called Living with Intent, for adults. So when we were kids, we were the guinea pigs for all of my dad's experiments. So we would, he, you know, we would meditate, but then after the meditation, he would ask us to set our intention. So he would make us repeat a phrase that goes like this. I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience and set the goals I will achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. So you'd ask us, what do you ask for? So Gotham, obviously, <laughs> would ask for Celtics tickets. I'd ask for a trip to Hawaii, new clothes, etc. And my dad would listen and then he'd say, okay, we'll work on that. But what about asking for love, connection, inspiration, a sense of purpose? And that really, I think, again, in these puberty years, if you start asking for the qualities you want in your life, but also learning, and that's why that phrase is so potent, also learning that you shape your reality. So you are also responsible for what you see. You are responsible for how you react. That doesn't mean that life isn't unfair sometimes. Mm. And, you know, as I work with a lot of adults and children, you know, people go through very difficult times. And it's almost trying to find a sense of power in making a choice of how you react to situations. So will you say it one more time? I actually, the first time you you said it, you pointed me to the reference and I printed it out and it is taped to my computer. I see it every single day and my brain is broken. And so I cannot remember it. So will you say it one more time for everyone to hear? I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience and set the goals I will achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. Now, I will say that last two lines, you know, everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for it. 
is not necessarily trauma-informed. You know, mm. again, I learned right. this like 40 years right. ago. Right. Um, so I've adapted it. I really focus on the beginning, which mm-hmm. is really about, you know, we choose how we react. So even in difficult situations, that's when we need to bring these tools. So it's beautiful. I love it. It's very meaningful to a kid who is living on the hormone roller coaster of puberty where things can feel very out of control, very beyond their ability to manage, either because of physiology or because of the complex social machinations that happen in these years. How do you provide them with baby steps towards that intentionality, right? Because I would imagine it's hard to get kids to that setting of intention immediately. So what are the stepping stones to getting there? So stepping stones are to just breathe. That's why the first book is called Just Breathe. It's really simple. And, you know, this as adults, we don't breathe, right? So for kids, if we just begin with take a deep breath in right now and out. And so even in this moment, we as adults can feel how a deep breath can anchor us. So that's really the beginning. And, you know, we're talking about puberty here, but that begins with little kids Mm -hmm. too. And so just taking a deep breath and then expanding it from one breath to maybe adding tactile, you know, two breaths so you can take your hand, breathe in with your pinky as it touches your thumb, breathe out as you do your ring finger, breathe in with your middle finger, breathe out with your pointer finger. That's two breaths. Then we can expand it to three breaths. So another exercise, especially during the pandemic, I found is helpful for kids is a three breath exercise. So as we're sitting, we're sitting here during this podcast, put your feet on the ground and take a deep breath in and out. Feel your feet on the ground and the earth beneath you and the solid earth beneath you and say, I am safe. I am safe. And then you can shift to your heart and take a deep breath in and out and say, I am here. I am here. And then you can shift to the top of your head And just feel the space between the top of your head, the roof above, the building that we're in, but then go on beyond to the skies and the universe and the galaxies, the infinity of space. Take a deep breath in and out and just say, I am. I am. So that's three breaths. And so it starts with that. And that's really simple. Like that's simple for us. It's simple for kids. And then, you know, you go one step further and one step further and we'll, we can do a meditation later on. But then you start adding the self-reflection, but it's, it's small steps. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? 
Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra. And it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their Umbra's. It's why we say that the Umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info, at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. 
It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Hello and welcome. This is Dr. Shaheen Gadir, and I'm an expert in the world of fertility, the area that I love and have passion for. I have helped thousands of people around the globe start their beautiful families. And in this podcast, The Fertile Life, I interview guests about their path to parenthood and dive into discussions around how the road to becoming a parent shapes us. Through insightful conversations, I hope to create a guide for listeners in all stages of life and break many stigmas often associated with fertility. Follow along as I take you through the journey towards the fertile life. So do me a favor, define for us in your eyes what self-reflection is, because I imagine that we each have our own version of it. But in the context of what you do, describe self-reflection. So self-reflection is asking questions of yourself. So we have basic questions that we were asked who am I? What do I want? How can I serve? And what am I grateful for? So my third book in the series, Just Be You, is shaped around those four questions. And it's digging deeper when we ask, who am I? And especially, you know, in those puberty years, we don't really know who are, we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in fact, most adults don't know who they are. <laughs> puberty years and beyond for yes. decades. <laughs> and so, you know, how do we define who we are? Okay, I am Indian. I am a soccer player. I am a piano player. But what happens if I twist my ankle and I can't play soccer? Then who am I? And so... Part of the exercise is actually self-reflection. It's a lifelong journey of defining who am I. And that's why that experience of I am, what we just did, 
and knowing who you are inside is beyond the labels, which you can't intellectualize. And that's why these practices are so powerful for kids, adults, etc., is that it's an experiential exercise, not just an intellectual exercise. So do you encourage kids to have, let's call it multiple identities, because when one gets taken away or they're not interested anymore, they're injured or whatever, they still have a sense of who they are? How or, do you help? Or who I am isn't just one thing, right? So... That it's a it's a list. Yeah. And so it's a shift from and it's from experience. So it's a shift okay, from I was gonna ask about yeah, that. It's, yeah, it's it's a shift from an external object oriented, like I'm labeling myself, mm-hmm. which they're always labeling themselves. I'm popular, I'm an A student, I'm an athlete, I'm a dancer. And so, again, we all through life are always going to play different roles. But whoever we are. At the end, if we know what I am when I really just feel that peace inside, then you carry that through all the turbulence, the ups and downs. And then also what happens is when there are difficult situations, which there will always be, you're able or sometimes you remember that you have this tool that you've been working on through breath or through movement or through meditation that you can connect back to yourself. Is there a place for who I want to be or who I don't want to be as someone's figuring out? So when I define intention, intention is who do I aspire to be? And that is when those questions, when, when my dad would kind of guide us to say connected, loved, of purpose. So it's kind of taking it out of like the, you know, in the West, we live in a very goal-oriented society and goals come from the mind and they're task-oriented and we check it off and our education system is very good at doing that, you know, through whether it's testing or, you know, the way education just is structured in this country. But when we go back and think about intentions. Intentions come from the soul. They really come from who do we aspire to be? And I would imagine your dad, who I've gotten to know over the years and is a very special person, as is your mom, by the way, who's sort of the silent shining star of your family. Uh, She's incredible. I would imagine your dad's initial intents or intentions were to be someone very different than who he was when he was a stressed out, overworked, unhappy young physician. Absolutely. And I think for my father, his intention when he was in, actually in his puberty years, his intention was to heal because that's what his father did. His father was one of the great, my grandfather was one of the great doctors of India. And so my father had this intention to heal And what he found is when he became a doctor, he wasn't healing. He was pushing pills. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And so that for so it was that journey which really started, you know, in his puberty years. And, you know, my dad is an extremely bright, brilliant person. So he excelled and became one of the top doctors, endocrinologists in the country, one of the top students of all of India when he came here as an immigrant. 
but he realized he wasn't living that intention to really heal. And so for him, that's been his lifelong journey. I mean, he's written 95 books now, and he's still exploring who am I? So, you know, and it changes. But, and, you know, the goal orientation may have changed from being a doctor to being a best-selling author or to being, you know, a huge public speaker. But I think now he's also at 75, you know, um, in our tradition of where we come from, the Hindu tradition, the Vedic tradition, there's natural phases in life. And I think my dad's in that natural phase of life, which is, you know, a lot more self-reflection about impact and legacy and what will happen when he's gone. So, And if we don't have children who can say in the puberty years that their goal or their intention for life is to heal, which <laughs> God bless your father for having that, that vision, because I certainly don't have kids living in my house who can imagine that as their intention. How do we guide them towards moving away from the goal-oriented intentionality to the sort of more soulful or meta-intentionality? What's some advice that you have? So my first advice is it's up to us as adults to role model. So when our kids see us as adults, you know, living a crazy life where we are distracted, where we are maybe driven by material or ego needs, which is all totally normal and natural. Um, and I think, you know, I do it. Kara does it. Where you know. I do it too. Yeah. So it's totally normal and natural. But I think as intentional, mindful parents to know that our kids are watching us, especially they're watching us always, especially they mirror us. But especially in those teenage years is when the sense of value and who am I, because they're going through their own process. It's a really important time as parents to actually share your own journey, your own questions. I'm a big believer in archetypes, you know, so it may not be that in your family or your home, you know, you have kind of that archetype of healer or whatever it may be. My father had that in his grandfather. My brother and I had that in our, my mother for me and, you know, my father in general. So I think you look for the heroes. You look for the, it may be mythological figures. It may be, and, you know, also recognizing that a lot of heroes are also complicated. Mm -hmm. So that's really important for in that puberty phase to also know nobody's perfect. And it gives kids permission to explore and also they actually don't need to know. I mean, I don't know about you, but it, I just turned 50 and I still don't know. It's like a lifelong journey. No clue. Yeah. I have no clue. <laughs> that makes three of us. So impulsivity is a big part of adolescence. And Cara, maybe can you give like a minute on the limbic system and all of that for folks who haven't listened to Molly Colvin's episode about the consistently inconsistent teenage brain? Yes. And I'm flashing back to an episode of Perfectly Imperfect Parents that we did on brain development because it, the question you're about to ask, the question you are teeing up about impulsivity, how the brain works, and then how self-awareness and the practice of meditation, practice of breathing will impact the actual physical 
pinging of messages in the brain is not just an important one, but it's it's like the the juice of this episode, right? Because meditation and all of these practices of self-awareness do physically change the brain. But let's do 60 seconds on why kids make sometimes some impulsive or what seem to be irrational choices. And the quick answer is the brain matures, develops from the bottom to the top and the inside out. And in that maturation process, um, what's happening is the naked wires, the neurons in the brain that send electrical messages one to the next to the next, do so much more efficiently when the wires are covered with a fatty layer called myelin. They do it much more slowly when the neurons are naked. That insulation process happens in that order, bottom to top, inside out. The middlemost part of the brain is called the limbic system. It's the emotional part of the brain. It houses a number of structures in the brain that are all related to risk, reward, that feeling of wanting to feel good, that sort of what we associate with a dopamine rush, a lot of it is housed right in that limbic system. And it's not necessarily stupid, bad decisions. It's feel-good decisions. So it might feel really good to get an A on a math test, and that might drive you to study for a math test. Sometimes we forget that, but anything that that drives that feeling good, let's let me take a risk and I'm going to get a reward with a hit of dopamine... That is processed in that limbic system in the brain. And those wires are sending and receiving messages much, much faster than the wires in the outside periphery of the brain, especially the prefrontal cortex, which is the part under your forehead, the super thoughtful, consequential way, what's going to happen when I do X and Y and Z part of the brain. That part of the brain is not myelinated. It's not insulated. It doesn't send and receive messages quickly until you're in your mid to late 20s, maybe later. All of that should explain why you're literally hardwired as a tween, teen, and 20-something to seek reward because the messaging is happening so much faster. And when you did the breathing exercises a few minutes ago, Molly, what I wanted to say was, I could feel that every part of my brain was allowed to send and receive messages because we were slowing our thoughts and we were breathing. And that is going to be, I don't want to steal your thunder, but that's going to be the answer to your question, which is if you give your brain the time, then the signals can get anywhere they need to go. Okay. So now go with your question. So now we know where the impulsivity, the pleasure-seeking where that comes from neurologically. What is your response to it? And knowing that we might have a very resistant audience in our adolescent kids to the answer. So Kara explained it brilliantly and she's right. So when you take a deep breath, when you shift from a fight-flight response to any situation to a more intentional response, you're using different parts of your brain. Also, in these practices, especially meditation, you know, you're actually dopamine, other hormones, good hormones are being released, and you're actually also releasing the stress hormones. So you're just creating a system by which your brain is reacting better. That being said, you know, um, I don't know if you've interviewed Dan Siegel yet or 
will, but um, you must because we must. yes, because he, you know, is a brainstorm. His entire book is the purpose of the teenage brain is to react, is to discover, is to rebel. And so I think as a parent, when I was reading that book and talking to Dan a lot about his work, that's just such a shift because it's actually, it's part of evolution too. So one, it's not always a bad thing. We want to keep our kids safe, of course, but it's also normal and natural and what they're supposed to do is to push the boundaries, to explore, to have kind of more impulsive reactions. What we want to do, though, is give them the experience of also knowing what it feels like to slow down so that when they are in that situation, which is always going to happen, they can stop. And I take this from Dan Siegel. Stop is S, stop, T, Take three breaths, but I say take one breath. O, observe what's happening in your body, and we can talk about the body more. And then P, proceed. So just if kids have this tool to like, oh, before I jump into something, let me stop and take a deep breath and feel that in my body. Because normally we're feeling stuff in our body. We feel butterflies in our stomach. We feel heartache. Our throats get dry. And so that helps us be a little bit more mindful about making decisions. But we're not trying to stop kids from going through this process because this is the important time for their brain development. That's right. And literally what's happening when you stop, literally, is that electrical signals are being sent throughout your brain and they're still being sent through the limbic system. They're still coursing through that area. But they have time because the wires in the exterior aren't insulated. It takes more time. The messages have time to get to the further reaches of the brain. And those parts of the brain are really, really critical in some decision making. And Dan is so right. The innovative young brain doesn't just, it's just not just evolutionary. It has driven social innovation. Think about Every founder of every tech company, right, under 30. Why? Because their brains are limbic system dominant. They are willing to take the risks. Our brains are prefrontal cortex dominant. We weigh what those risks are against the benefit and we stop ourselves. And the world needs both. It needs young brains. It needs innovators. It needs a little impulse. I like the reframing of not trying to make adolescents who they're not, right? Of accepting them and the upside as well as what gets promoted much more often, which is the downside of adolescence. And so I really like that. Moving away from impulsivity and towards the topic of anxiety, we know that anxiety was skyrocketing in adolescence before the pandemic, and those numbers are only getting bigger. What can parents do at home as a sort of first step with their very anxious kid to just begin the process of self-reflection? So anxiety is a pandemic, unto itself, mm. as is right now what we're seeing with suicide with teens as well. So it's a very serious issue. So my first 
thought on it is we have to recognize it. We have to say it's a problem. And you have to say that in your family too. And my family deals with that as well. So, you know, we all have to be very honest. We have to understand the science, which is why it's so important, you know, what Kara and people like Dr. Siegel and others do. So we really have to recognize the science and also understand that it's it's a whole problem. So we can't just kind of think that, you know, by taking away our kid's phone or off of social media, that that's going to solve it. Like, we really have to do it as a holistic, whether it's family, school, really bringing in kind of all of the stakeholders in a child's life when you see that maybe they're being debilitated by anxiety or stress. So I think that's the first. So one of the key things that I always say to people because I get texts from so many friends is, you know, so-and-so is in so much pain. Can you teach them how to meditate? Or my child, you know, is having um, suicidal thoughts. Can you teach them to meditate? There's no magic pill here. It's really about a holistic approach. So, you know, I am a believer in science and spirituality. And I, uh, another person that I would recommend you talk to is Dr. Lisa Miller, who wrote The Spiritual Child. She's one of my mentors. She's um, at Columbia University. And her work, all of her work and her science and her research is really focused on what spirituality brings to children and the healing mechanisms of that and the connection that that brings. And so, you know, it's a holistic process. Now, of course, the work that I'm trying to do is give kids the tools because going back to how the brain works, the more that they get used to certain neurons firing, the more that they create the paths in their brain as they're developing, those become more natural instincts when they are in any type of situation. That's right. right. What about the hormonal stew of puberty? You've raised two daughters. They are now 20 and 17, and they are very different from one another, but both incredible humans. You've witnessed firsthand the power of hormones in puberty. We've had many conversations about it. How does the surge and drop in hormone levels, especially in the earliest stages of puberty, impact someone's ability to find quiet and to be able to be, you know, sort of self-reflective. Because in my house, those moments of surging hormone or of plummeting hormone are messy. And I think The key is it's supposed to be messy. And as a parent, you don't have to react. So that's why it's, again, we teach by example, Mm -hmm. not just words. So when our child is going through a crisis, which is a hormonal, and you can see it, you can literally see it, like Mm -hmm. they won't stop crying or they are really angry or they storm out and bang a door. Don't try to be like the kind of self-help mom at that point and say, oh, just take a deep breath. Like <laughs> I have you know, made that mistake. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I just might throw things yeah, at you. Or, <laughs> oh, just stop. Remember that? Like you, I might have <laughs> handed your book in through the door, which was not a good move. And that's what I'm always saying to parents. Like, And my parents never forced. That's why I always say my parents never forced or judged. They let us go through what we needed to go through. And my children are very different. One 
cries and, you know, gets really upset, releases it and moves on. The other holds it in and she holds it in in many different ways. And maybe we don't see it all the time. So we have to kind of know our uniqueness in our child. And then we have to give them more life tools, not like just kind of trying to just jump in in that crisis situation, you know. So you don't jump in. Maybe you yourself take a few deep breaths when the temptation is to bang down the door or fix it or scream. That's, that's critical, actually. Yes. The, the parent taking the breaths too. Yes. So once we've taken a few deep breaths and maybe the screaming has stopped from the other side of the door or the shoes are no longer being thrown across the room and we hear things are a little quieter, how do we foster self-reflection in a kind of post-crisis moment? Especially, let me add, when they see themselves as being the victim of the parent, right? So you're... Oh, right. right? So it, let's say the scenario is it's it's our fault it's, that they're feeling however fault. they're feeling. Are we still able to facilitate self-reflection in them or... Is it just a moment that we need to let pass? So I think as parents, we need to take deep breaths. We need to self-reflect on maybe what we did that created a reaction. And then we need to role model for our children that we can say sorry, that we can say, I made a mistake, that we can say, you know, I react like that too, actually, and that we can make it a conversation where we're not, so the child doesn't feel like they're being judged, but the child is feeling a connection to you as a parent that they can learn from as well. And so, and I think that's that's in a situation where we as a parent have kind of pushed the boundaries too much, even if we don't think we did. My main thing is at this stage of life, keep your child safe. Like really, that's the number one thing. Keep your child safe because they are going to, in fact, if they weren't pushing the boundaries, you'd be a little bit more worried, you know? So mm-hmm. I think they are going to push the boundaries. So one is keep them safe. And that, you know, is if you look at wisdom traditions, even the first chakra in kind of the tradition of Ayurveda is safety. Like it really begins, or if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, it all begins with safety. So this is a critical time when your kids are in that puberty phase to make them feel safe, to let them know that they are loved no matter what they do. And, you know, my kids have also pushed the boundaries and done things and, you know, got in a lot of trouble uh, for various things. You're angels. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's okay for them to make mistakes. And actually in our family, when people make mistakes, we share that we've all made mistakes. And, you know, and the lesson is, what you learn from that. And so I think if we really treat our children more, like we really give them the respect actually that they deserve as they're growing up and exploring, I hope that that helps and changes just the dynamic. And you said that it's okay to apologize to kids. That is such a critical piece of all of this. 
think parents are sometimes worried about apologizing to kids because there's this sense that it undermines their authority in some way. And I think what you're saying is it's time to flip that script, that by letting your kids know when you know you got your part wrong, not only does it make you a more valid resource for them, because they know you got it wrong too, but also it models for them their ability to apologize when they get it wrong. It is something you taught me many years ago, and it is probably, in in my parenting, probably the the most consistent thing I do is apologize (laughs) for all the things I do wrong. But no, I mean, just having that self-awareness about it. And my kids at 16 and 18 have become actually much better at acknowledging their role only because it's been many years of the, you know, occasional time I screw up as a parent, they well, and I tell I think, them I'm sorry. And again, it's apologizing. But see, this is the role of our kids. So another mm-hmm. author, Shefali Savery, she talks mm-hmm. a lot about like our kids are our mirror. And especially in the puberty years, because our kids know better than anyone else on the planet what our weakest oh yeah they inse- do yeah. biggest insecurity yeah. is oh, and yeah. they will always the target that is you can big. call mine right now <laughs> and they'll get it in one exactly so for those people listening who think i suck at self reflection i'm terrible at meditating i've well that's tried very self reflective <laughs> okay the only thing they're good at is the fact that they suck at meditation for the people for whom this is an uncomfortable idea, but they are trusting and believing that it is helpful and it's an important toolbox for their kids. How do they include this in their family's life without feeling like they're faking it, like they're inauthentic? What are some ways that people can begin to kind of include this in their lives without feeling disingenuous? So first no one sucks at meditation. No one, you shouldn't be, I do. You shouldn't be stressed about having a tool to relieve stress. Like that's against the point. So these are just simple tools. So when we took a deep breath, that was pretty effortless, right? I'm good at breathing. Yes. But I think there's also a misconception that meditation is about emptying our minds or not having thoughts. Our brain is always having thoughts. All we're doing is we're kind of slowing things down. So we can do a meditation together right now that I can teach you a very simple meditation. But I think it's really important for parents to remember it doesn't matter what your kids do. Like, again, I go back to this is a time to keep them safe. We just want them safe at this point. It's a time for you as a parent to reflect. And if you're anxious about reflecting or slowing down, it's a time for you to think about why. And you are the ones, if you're so desperate to shape your child to be less stressed and anxious, they're reflecting something in your journey. So I would say it's really important. That's why it's, um, and why I love Shafali's work is she really kind of brings to light, like we are often trying to project on our children our deepest desires rather than really recognizing that they have 
their own, which may be totally, as parents, we've got to let go of that. And that's part of our journey. So you inspired me to learn how to meditate, obviously, (laughs) um, many years ago. And I was very bad at it for a very, very long time. She just said you can't be bad at meditation. No, no, no. I know. And everything (laughs) she says is right, except for I was really bad at meditating (laughs) because I didn't give myself permission to take the time. I didn't think I had 10 minutes a day or whatever chunk of time I wanted to give. I, about three or four years ago, I gave myself permission to do it and it became a part of my life that is, it's literally intoxicating to meditate. I have begged, begged every member of my family to start meditating. It's foreign to all of them. None of them have started. However, they all know I'm a better version of myself when I meditate. And if I haven't meditated, they all send me to meditate which I see as a silent victory because that's the first step for them to meditate. And I think they will eventually get there because they see it as a tool. And that Shafali is such a, an incredible and powerful writer and speaker. And t- she does sort of, she circles that a lot, the, the role modeling of it. It's, it's both that we project our garbage, our baggage onto our kids, but also you know, it starts with you. And I would say, you know, in my family, no one's ever forced anybody to meditate. So I, my kids learned early on, one kind of did through her teenage years, the other has zero interest. I tried to get her to do yoga, zero interest, but you know what? She loves martial arts. And so that's her path and that's okay. It really doesn't matter. So Will you teach us a last exercise before we finish? Yes. So just sit comfortably like we did before. And um, if you're comfortable, you can close your eyes. But whenever we're doing any meditation with anyone, especially children, we always give them permission to keep their eyes open or closed because, again, we want them to feel safe. So if you feel safe and comfortable, close your eyes. And just begin with the deep breath. In and out. And this is a mental technique. So what I want you to do is in your mind, not out loud, repeat the words I am. So what we had used in the earlier exercise, I am. And you can continue to breathe normally, but in your head, just repeat the words, I am. I am. And I'm going to just give us some space for you to mentally repeat the words. And what will happen and is normal and natural is your mind may wander away. So it may think, oh, how long are we going to do this for? I need to go to the bathroom. I'm hungry. All normal and natural. And when you notice your mind has wandered, just come back to I am. I am. So I'll just be silent for a few seconds while you do this. And now you can stop repeating I am and just take a deep breath in and out. 
And if your eyes are closed, you can open your eyes. So that's a simple exercise. You can do it anywhere, anytime, any place. It doesn't require any devices or tools or anything. It doesn't cost any money. It's just helping your mind settle down. And there's an entire science of why that works. But you know from experience that it works. Now, when Kara says, I really want to address this, when she says, I'm bad at meditating, <laughs> that's not the case because... I'm not bad anymore. <laughs> but the I think, and Kara, this is at our core where the... East and the West are different. This is true. Because in the West, there's this thing of like, oh, I have to get it right. Was my mind racing? Did I settle down? It doesn't matter. If you that's spend right. five minutes and the whole time your mind is just racing, that's, that's right. actually an indication that you need this more than you think you need it. And so it's just kind of getting into the practice. And even 40 years later when I'm meditating, I have meditations where my mind's racing the whole time or I fall asleep or That's I feel right. distracted or uncomfortable. It's what your body and your mind need at that moment. And That's so what's right. happened to you just because you're the scientist is the more you practice it, the more it's like you've created that path. You've created the wires because you kind of created That's a right. habit. That's right. And it's a habit I crave. It's a habit I crave. So we normally finish with a practical puberty takeaway. But I actually am going to do something a little bit different today. And what I would love to do is for Cara and I to repeat after you the setting of intention that you talked about at the beginning, those first three kind of principles or however you want to name them so that that's what people can take away with them from this episode. So if you okay. would say each one and then we can repeat them, that would be wonderful. Great. So before we say them, let's just take a deep breath in and out. And I am responsible for what I see. I am, I am responsible, responsible for, for what, what I, I see. see. I choose the feelings I experience. I choose the feelings I experience. And set the goals I will achieve. And, and set the goals I will achieve. And now what we'll do is take another breath. In and out. And now just ask yourself, what do I want? I want to tell the whole world that I have one of the most amazing best friends <laughs> ever. And I know, Vanessa... You might feel a little jealous, but now she's your friend too. I know. I feel a little emotional. I know. Isn't she incredible? Yeah. Well, it's not me. You're emotional <laughs> because we're not used to asking ourselves mm. those questions mm -hmm. and being honest and authentic. And when we kind of settle down and we ask those questions, we're actually a little bit more honest and authentic than when we're rushing and trying to from the mind, goal-oriented, uh, answer those questions. So I will say, I also am very lucky because I have one of the best friends in the world. So <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for coming. Thank you what so much. What a gift you are, really. What a gift you are. 
I will never say I was bad at meditation ever again. <laughs> Thank you. If that, if all of this was just for that, we've got, we've got somewhere. Thank you so much. This was beautiful. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the puberty podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com